Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us this Sunday at one of our four campuses. Call times are at 9 and 11 a.m. at our Somerville and Remount campuses, 10 a.m. at our North Charleston campus, and 11 a.m. at our Monk's Corner campus. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Larry Burbacher. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit faithishere.org. Most of you could quote it, know it by heart, very familiar passage of Scripture, and yet it's incredible in this one verse, this one verse is all the gospel. You can find it all right here in one place, and so we're going to read it to you today, John 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life in the New International Version. Hallelujah. God is so good. God is a giver. God loves to give. He gave to us. He gave to you. gave to one another. God, God is a giver, and so we're to model that same kind of lifestyle in our own lives. That, that song we just sang, it said, nothing in this earth can satisfy. And, and yet sometimes the world goes hungering after what the world has to offer. And we think if we get more stuff, it satisfies. But I want to tell you today, God's a giver and in Him is all love. And it's incredible to know the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know Him, I hope that before the service ends, you'll find Him as Lord and Savior. Turn around and hug somebody's neck, shake somebody's hand, say hello to somebody, and then you may be seated. For God so loved the world that He... A little weak. Let's try it again. Some of you are still sitting down. For God so loved the world that he gave. God is a giver. It's the heart of the gospel. Because God loves us, he, he gave. Cares about us, he gave. And so if God's a giver and we are followers of the Lord, then we ourselves should be givers. Because that, that's who God is. That's, that's what the gospel is all about. He is the infinite, perfect giver and because it is inherent in the character of who God is therefore if I identify with him I too will become a giver I want to talk this week and over the next several weeks about what it means to be a giver what it means to be a faithful steward there's a word we use called stewardship I'll tell you more about what that means in a few moments but we're going to be looking at what God's word has to say about God and money about being a giver about allowing God's resources to flow through us to bless other people. That's what kingdom living is all about. And so we'll be looking at that today. Now there's a couple of premises you've got to get down. And the first is simply this. If you're going to understand it, you've got to get this premise first. If you miss this one, you miss it all. You might as well just not catch any of the rest of the series. And it's simply this. God is the owner. Few people. God owns it all. Everything in this world is God's. He's the owner. That means I'm not the owner. It's not my stuff. It's all God's. Turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and look at verse number 11. David is celebrating the building of the temple and the gathering of the materials for that to happen. And uh, he he just breaks out in praise. He's thinking about who God is and, and how amazing God is. And so you come down to verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven... And on the earth is yours. 
Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. You see, nothing truly belongs to us. When we understand that my life belongs to God, everything I have belongs to God, I, 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 I belong to Him. Even though we know that intellectually, though, don't we treat our stuff like it's our own? We, we, we get accustomed to it, and we think it's ours, and we think it belongs to us, and so we, we do something good, and we take credit for that accomplishment. We, we, uh, we, we are, are what God's blessed us with in our house and home and cars and stuff. We take blessing in our accommodations. We take blessing in our assets. We think it's ours. But David said everything is God's, whether it's in heaven or on the earth. It all belongs to him. The temptation is to think that abundance is found in life's possessions. And so the more stuff I get, the happier I'll be. And and that's what the advertisement says. That's what the media says. That's what the world says. Uh, But true life, real life, is discovered in stewarding God's blessings. When I understand God's the owner and I steward God's blessings, then I find real joy and real life and real peace. He warns the disciples in Luke 12, 15. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. Now, I don't think God, Jesus would have warned his disciples that if that wasn't the case today. Be careful, look out, greed, it's consuming, watch out. Your life doesn't consist in what you own and what you possess. Now, that's not what we hear today in, in America. Not what we hear on the news media. It's not what we hear on the television every day. It's yours. You earned it. You go for it. You deserve a break today. It's all about you and and making you happy. So we we fall prey to this kind of advertisement. It's not our things. It's not our money. It's not our possessions. It's, It's not our abilities. It's not our achievements. It's all through God. All belongs to Him. Bible says we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of this world. How many have ever seen a, a hearse following a, 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 a excuse me, a, a U-Haul following a hearse? Doesn't happen. You can't take anything out of this world. J.D. Rockefeller was the wealthiest man in his age. He was an oil baron and uh, a richest man on the earth in the 20th century, early part of the 20th century. In fact, during his heyday, every dollar made in America, uh, out of every $30 made in America, J.D. Rockefeller was, was responsible for $1 of it. One-thirtieth of the nation's income was through him and through his businesses. Uh, in today's economy, it's estimated that if you translated what he made in 1930s to today's economy, he would be ten times wealthier than Bill Gates. That gives you a little idea how wealthy this guy was. And he died in 1937. In the newspaper cartoon, uh, there was a caption that said, how much did he leave? And the next panel said, all of it. All of it. You can't take one penny with you. In death, every possession of this material life is going to be left behind. Even our bodies left behind. Right? Your spirit is that which is eternal. It's what lives on forever. And so what I want to talk to you today is about the real reality. We think reality is what I can taste and touch and feel and see with my eyes, uh, but there is a real reality behind that that is spiritual in nature. Let me give you a verse. It's 1 Timothy 4 and verse 8. For physical training is of some value, 
But godliness has value for all things, holding the promise for this present life and the life to come. Now, how many in here work out? Let me see your hand. Some of you are afraid to raise your hand because you're going to look down at your stomach. And say, if you're not working out very hard. <laughs> it's okay to work out. It's good. There's some value in that. There's some benefit of that. In fact, I think we ought to be a steward over our physical bodies. But he said there's some value there, but he said exercise unto godliness is eternal. There is much greater value in what you do for the spiritual man. So it is in this world. There are realities that are physical, but they will pass away. They will end with the culmination of your life on this earth. Uh, But there is a much more real reality uh, that is that which is eternal, that which is spiritual. And so the emphasis should be as a child of God on that which is eternal, not which is that which is temporal or passing or going away. There's only one owner, and that's God. God owns it all. And so satisfaction comes from acknowledging Him, serving Him, following Him, and being a steward over that which God has blessed us with, which leads me to my second point. It is simply this. If God is the owner, man then is the faithful steward. Because it's not ours, I am simply a manager of God's stuff. Okay? Turn to 1 Corinthians 4 and 2. It says there, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. There's two words I want you to notice there. The first is the word faithful. He said, of of all things in stewardship... What's going to count is how faithful are you with what God has put into your trust account, okay? Faithfulness, it's it's the attribute of a steward. And then the word trust. Trust encompasses all of God's riches and all of God's resources uh, that are placed into our care by God himself. And so there's a trust account and God puts his stuff in your trust, okay? So faithful giving is giving by Faith in God, mindful that God is the Lord of everything. And so I put my trust in God, my faith in God, and God, I believe it's all yours, and so I'll be faithful with it. It also carries the idea of being dependable or faithful or committed, given in a faithful, given manner. In both meanings, it tells us that I've got to trust in God. I've got to believe in God for everything that God gives. He gives the gift of faith, and then we exercise that gift of faith by giving for His glory and for all of His purposes. Now, faithful giving not only applies to money. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about finances because the Bible says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But your trust account is much more than your bank account. The trust that God has put into your care has a wide range of assets. Your time has been given to you by God. How many know your time is a gift of God? The very fact that you're living, breathing, walking on the earth, that in itself is a gift of God. And so our time is a gift of God. So I've been given that time. How am I using that for God's glory? Your possessions, those things you own in life, your house is a part of God's trust that God gave you. Your car is a part of God's trust that God gave you. So how are you using your home for God's glory? Is that a lighthouse where God is being glorified? Is it a lighthouse in your neighborhood? Is it a place where people are welcome and the love of Christ is shown? 
your house, your opportunities that God gives us that pass our way every single day, your influence, your relationships of those people who are around you are part of the trust that God has placed into your care. And, and these are just the physical attributes. There's also spiritual assets. Uh, he said he has placed into our trust the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said he has given us this gospel as a trust. How are you stewarding, managing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you keeping it all for yourself? Are you telling other people about the Lord? So the gospel itself, the mystery of godliness, it says in the word of God, all secret things of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, all those are assets, whether the material or spiritual, that God placed into our trust account. And so now the question for us is, am I faithful with what God has placed into my trust? Because it all belongs to God, I give account to God of how I've used his assets. While giving faithfully is not just about money, money can be a major determinant for the rest of our life. Matthew six nineteen says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So those who learn the principle of giving, Giving faithfully, being a faithful steward of their money are also more likely to give their time, their energies, and other resources for the work of God. Starts with our finances. Those who struggle and are always in perpetual crisis and wondering if I'm going to have enough this month, they can trace back their problems to where their treasure is. And consequently, because their heart's in the wrong place, their life gets messed up. Everything's get out of whack. Your priorities get out of order because your heart's in the wrong place because this is where your treasure is. There will your heart be also. When you are faithful in giving to the right purpose in the right way, it has powerful effect to affect every other priority in our life. Throughout the Bible, faithfulness is essential to serving God, to declaring His Word, to helping others. So a wise steward, is first of all, has to be faithful. Now I want you to turn to Luke 16. There's a principle here, and this is the reason finances can become important in our lives, how we handle them, because it's, he says if you can't handle money, you can't handle true spiritual riches. Listen to it. Luke 16.10, whoever can be trusted with a little can also be trusted with much. So you're faithful with where you're at and what God has blessed you with. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with very much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, now he's talking about finances. If you can't handle finances, who will trust you with true riches? Now he's talking about what, that which is spiritual or eternal. Okay? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, God's property, who will give you property of your own? So he says, handling money in the kingdom of God and the whole scope of things is a small thing. But if you don't get this straight, you'll miss everything else. Right? I just read it to you. If you don't get this right, if you can't be a faithful steward with that I've put into your trust account, how can I trust to give you more into your account? If you can't use wisely what I've blessed you with already, how can I trust you with more 
And how in the world can you handle true spiritual riches if your heart's following your treasure in a different direction? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The greater your dependability, the greater your blessing. And so the question for all of us today is, can God trust me? Can God trust me as a steward of his stuff? And if he can't, he'll find somebody else he can trust. There's a, there's a couple of offerings that were taken in the Old Testament that are incredible. One was first taken by Moses. Moses is leading the children of Israel. He's led them out into the wilderness. He's gone up to Mount Sinai. He's got the pattern for this is how I want the tabernacle to be built. So Moses is going to be the builder and the children of Israel, and God's the architect. This is one of the times that God himself is the architect. He gave Moses the blueprints. And this tabernacle, even though on the outside it would look very humble uh, in its coverings, uh, it still had some very elaborate furnishings. It had articles of gold inside the tabernacle and and brazen altars and, and brass and all kinds of things that went into this extraordinary tabernacle that was going to be built. They used exotic woods, special fabrics. They even had special garments for all the priests. And, and he's taken up an offering to fund this tabernacle. And so turn to Exodus chapter 36. I want you to look at the heart of the giving of the children of Israel. It says, And Moses summoned Bezalel and Oholibah, and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability, who was willing to come and do this work. They received from Moses all the offerings of the Israelites had brought to carry out the work for constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued bringing their farewell offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen and all who were doing work on the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent word throughout the camp, no man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they had already had was more than enough to do all that work. Now, can you imagine standing up, me standing up on a Sunday morning? Guys, don't give today. We got more than we can handle. I just kind of wish one day that might could happen. The reality is the church is not a bank. We're not warehousing money. We're funneling it right back in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom work, for reaching souls, for reaching the lost, for taking the gospel around the world. So it's going right back into kingdom work. So it becomes a pass-through. And so every week we will take up tithes and offerings. But, but the, the people were so generous in, in their giving. And they modeled the heart of God who himself gave. And because God took them and delivered them out of Egypt where they were in bondage and slavery, part of the Red Sea, took them forth and redeemed them, the Bible says, by his own mighty hand, they could not help but give. They brought in so much, morning after morning, Moses and I say, slow down, guys, we got too much stored up here. What a heart. You say, where'd they get all that stuff? Well, the Bible says the Egyptians were so glad to see them get out of Egypt, they gave them all their gold and silver on the way out. By the way, take this with you. Get out of here. Don't kill anybody else in our country, please. So they left. There's a second offering that's taken centuries later by a man by the name of David. Turn, if you would, to, again to First Chronicles chapter 29. And uh, David's gathering the materials for the temple. It is going to be the center of the worship for the nation of Israel. It is all about God. It is about God's temple. It is going to be the glorious, most glorious building ever built up to that day. 
And so he writes about it and he describes, first of all, his own giving. David, as a leader, is going to set the example. And so he starts in verse 2. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my gold, uh, of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. All of these in large quantity, besides in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God. Over and above everything I have provided for the holy temple. Now, notice those words there. He says, I am giving over and above. I just can't help but give back to God who gave everything to me. And now the people are inspired and they begin to give as well. So jump down to verse number 16. O Lord, our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for the building of the temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. Everything we got, it's yours already, so we're just giving back. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things have been given willingly and with honest intent, and now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you, O Lord God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep this desire in their hearts of your people forever and ever, and keep their hearts loyal to you. Now he starts out talking about money and gifts for the temple, but where does he go? To the heart. He says the giving is really a heart issue. They gave willingly, they gave out of their hearts, and what did we learn in Luke? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so their treasure was after God. And so it was nothing for them to bring in their offerings, their gifts for the building of God's temple because their heart was after God. So giving is a heart issue. Where's your heart at? David acknowledges everything belongs to God. He was the owner and they were simply faithful stewards of all that God had. So that's the principle. God owns it all. And we're the stewards. And if you get that foundation, if you get that basis down, everything else just simply begins to fall in place. Now, I want to give you five practical ways this works itself out in our lives. How do we show this? How do we exemplify that? And I just want to teach a little bit about what it means to be a faithful giver. Number one, when you have an opportunity to give to the Lord's work, like Moses did, like David did, go above and beyond the call of duty. Every opportunity to give is an opportunity to partner with God in His work in ministry. And because I'm more concerned about the eternal than the temporal, I partner with God and I release it for His work. There are, there are two kinds of giving. One is ordinary giving. This is what a faithful steward does. Every month or every week or every other week, depending on how often you are paid, what you would do is you would bring your tithes into the storehouse. Why? Because God owns everything. And so I trust God. I believe in God, and so I give my first 10% back to God for His work and service in His kingdom. When I keep it all for myself, I'm saying, God, I don't really trust you to take care of me. And we leave the work of God undone. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Tithing breaks that oppression of finances over your life. As soon as you partner with God in faithful giving, it breaks the hold of money over your life wants to enslave us and so that's ordinary regular giving and so i tithe because 
I put my faith in God, and God owns it all, and I'm recognizing that you're the Lord and owner of my life. And then there's extraordinary giving, and that's to meet extraordinary needs. That's over and above. That's David's giving to the temple. That's, that's the Israelites giving more than they needed, kept bringing it in for building the tabernacle. It is over and above extraordinary giving. And what a joy when I partner with God and I say, God, Everything I have is yours, so where do you want me to place your resources? And so we see somebody in need, we reach out to them, we, we, we buy them a bike, we buy them a car, we, we uh, help pay a bill for them, we reach out and minister. We hear a missionary that's oh, serving in another part of the world, and we want to give to see the gospel go out. It's extraordinary giving. It's over and above. God's measurement, though, is how we give, not how much we give. So we give generously, joyfully, and sacrificially, it's not the amount. And so if I'm going to be an extraordinary giver, it's not how much I put in the plate, it's how much sacrifice it may be. That's why when a widow in the New Testament gave just a mite, just a few pennies, Jesus said she was an extraordinary giver. Jesus said she gave more than everybody else in the room. Not more financially, but because her heart was in the right place. It it was sacrificially in comparison to what she had as a widow and everybody else had who was coming through the temple. Her gift was far greater because she gave out of the abundance of her heart. She was an extraordinary giver. Extraordinary giving has nothing to do about how much you give. It's your heart. It's your willingness. It's your sacrifice. When you understand that everything comes from God's hands... It all belongs to him anyway. Then you see every challenge to give as an opportunity, not a burden. Now, oh, here we go again. Pastor's talking about money. Going to receive an offering. We've got a guest today. Got to give a little extra on now. It's an opportunity because I'm an extraordinary giver because God gave everything for me. Let God expand the horizons of your faith and, and go above and beyond and you're giving to the Lord. Number two, think of money as a means to the end, not the end itself. Think of money as a means to the end, not the end itself. Now, the allure of money, the pool of money is very strong and very pervasive. That's why God's Word has so much to say on the subject. It just talks about it many times throughout the New Testament because there's a strong pull that money and stuff and things can have on our life. It, it, it leads to a frantic lifestyle. It leads to a work, workaholic uh, mentality. But the trouble is, money will bring no fulfillment. You can get all the stuff that's out there. It won't bring you joy. It won't bring you peace. It won't bring you into right relationship with God. And so you've got to understand it's not the end, it's only a means to the end. Money can by its very nature create a thirst for more. And unless I keep the right attitude towards it, it would determine how I manage my money rather than being manipulated by my money. The hallmark of stewardship is administration, not accumulation. It's not about how much more. It's about how I handle what God has blessed me with. Now, I'm not saying you can't enjoy things in life. God's not looking over heaven and saying, oh, no, you, 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 you bought something nice today. Shame on you. I'm not talking about a poverty mindset. God's not up in heaven waiting to beat you up if you 
buy something or use something for his glory, for his honor, or even for yourself for to use for God. The attachment is to God, not to things. So even though I may have things, I'm not attached to them. I'm not owned by my things. I'm not owned by my stuff. They are simply a means to the end. Colossians 3, 2 puts it this way. Set your affections on things above, not on earthly things. You see, the, the reality is you can gain everything and still be the biggest loser in life. I'm talking about weight here. I'm talking about just a loser, period. The Bible says, what shall a profit a man if he gain the whole world yet lose his own soul? The only way you won't die a loser is to lay up treasure in heaven. Whatever we gain in this world only has value to the extent it is invested and stewarded for eternity because that's the real reality. That's what's going to remain forever. Number three, you can give it all away and still invest it as well. That's, that's a pretty neat principle right there. Whatever you give away in Jesus' name doesn't produce a loss, but a profit. We think when we give it away, we're losing it. There it goes. And it's fleeting. We hang on to it. Oh, no. I just wrote that check. There it went. A spiritual profit accrues in our heavenly account because I'm trusting God with my finances. It opens up the door for God to bless because he can trust me. He was faithful in little, can be trusted with much. There's a lot of paradoxes in the Bible. We get to these paradoxes and they bother us because sometimes they're hard. Let me just give you several of them, and, and they're in God's Word. Number one is, to find your life, you must lose it. I didn't make that stuff up. It's in God's Word. To find your life, you've got to lose it. You say, God, my life is not about me. It's about you. And so I lose my life for the sake of the kingdom of God. Right? I'll give you another paradox. To be first, you must be last. Those are paradoxes in the Word of God. How can you be first and last at the same time? God is saying, put others before you, love them above you, and honor preferring one another, and God will ultimately bless you. There's another paradox. To be honored, you must be humbled. Whosoever be greatest in the kingdom, let us be the least of all. Here's one. To live, you must die. That stuff doesn't make sense in God's Word. And so he says, we die to ourselves. Thank you. We die to ourselves. It's no longer I that live. It's now that Christ liveth in me. And so this, this thing of stewardship, I give it away, but I gain more. I, I, I give it away as a faithful giver, as a faithful steward, which in turn, God blessed me with true spiritual blessings. God honor and steward gives away for that which is more important. Your true riches will always follow you in Christ Jesus. David Livingston was an incredible missionary statesman, and he makes this statement. I place no value on anything I have or I may possess, except in relation to the kingdom of God. If anything will advance 
the interest of the kingdom, it shall be given away or kept, only as giving or keeping it, I shall promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes in time and eternity. What a great statement. Whether I give it, whether I keep it, it's all about the kingdom. Everything in my life is about the kingdom. Everything I own is about the kingdom. So I listen to God and I obey him. I say, God, what do you want me to do with your stuff? It's all about the kingdom. Number four, the fourth principle is this. Never forget that you will give an account to God. You see, if, 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 you're, if you have a trust account and you're the fiduciary of that account, you're the manager of that account, you've got to give an answer to everybody else who is involved in that trust of how you spent or how you invested or how you used those resources. And so the Bible says, live in a way that you'll prepare to stand before our Lord because one day we're going to have to give an account. He gave talents out. He gave to one five and one two and one one and the accounting day came. And to the first one who multiplied that which God had blessed him with, he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. To servant number two, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And to servant number three, he says, you are a slothful and wicked servant. You didn't invest what I gave you to use. And so there's going to be an accounting day coming because it is God's. Now let me tell you, one of the greatest gifts that you have is time. Above all the gifts, more than money, more than any other thing we're talking about, it's time. And so each day you wake up, you need to think that a day is an opportunity. God, thank you for a new day. Thank you for another day to serve you, to share your word, to love people. Thank you for a day to, to glorify you. <laughs> Ephesians 5 says it this way, uh, verses 15 and 16. Be very, very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise making the most of every opportunity. There's a phrase in Latin, carpe diem, which means seize the day. I would add add this phrase, carpe diem for God. Seize the day for God. God, this is another day you've given me to live for you. So every day I want to live it for your glory and with purpose. Wise, not unwise making the most and the last practical application is this multiply your trust by trusting your multiplier god's the multiplier multiply your trust by trusting your multiplier it's a matter of faith giving for any man woman in 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 life it's a matter of faith i am trusting you god that if i give my tithes, I give my offerings, I give to the work of God, I give to help somebody else. I am trusting you, God, that you are faithful and you are big enough to take care of me. That I am someone you can flow your resources through. I can be a channel that can be used for your glory. We have been given a sacred trust, and that is we're to multiply it for God's use and in God's name. And so God wants us to rely on him. And so we literally are in a partnership. It's a business agreement. I partner with God. He partners with me. I listen to what God tells me to do. I obey him. And then I trust God for the results. It's it's not that complicated. It's not rocket science. We, We just say, God, because it's all yours and I'm your manager, I better get direction from you on how to do this stuff. So we partner with God in this area of giving and stewardship 
God wants us to rely upon him. God wants us to seek him for every need. Uh, God wants us to, to pray and partner with him in this area of our life. And so it starts out with, God, you're the owner. I'm simply a steward. So the question for all of us today, we've got to look and examine ourselves. How am I doing? Can, God, can you trust me as a faithful steward? Having been obedient? Have I been listening to your voice? Have I treated the stuff you've given to me into my trust as if it belongs to you? Or do I act like it belongs to me? These are questions we're going to think about. This is biblical stewardship, biblical Christianity. This is what God calls us to do. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave. Now I want to emulate God in my life. I want to be like God. I want to do what God wants me to do. Now I opened up with that verse, John three sixteen. In that is the essence of the gospel. Let me tell you today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you can invite him to come into your heart and life. It starts by saying, God, I know I can't save myself. I know I'm lost. I know I'm sinful. I need you to come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. And if you'll pray a simple prayer like that, Christ will come in and give you life. Amen. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.